0: News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Joel Bennett in for Simi. Well, we are learning more about the role of the military and the questions that were being asked during the so-called Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. New documents, uh, newly released documents, show what uh, was kind of going on behind the scenes. And Amanda Connolly is joining us now, Global News senior political reporter, with more on this. Amanda, good morning to you.
1: Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, Great
0: to talk to you about this. Can you tell us a little bit more about these documents? I know there were uh, first reports on this earlier this week, but really showing some more about uh, kind of the conversations and that back and forth between senior defense officials and the role of Canadian forces in uh, when this occupation was taking place.
1: Certainly, yes. These are documents that Global News obtained through access to information laws. And really what they do is shed some additional light here on how senior defense and security officials in Canada were weighing the risks and the role uh, for the military in this this really unprecedented and major event that was taking place, not just, of course, in Ottawa here in the nation's capital, but really across the country uh, at so many different border points and and, in the communities on the ground. And so, What we're learning from these documents is that there was, even as there was the Emergencies Act being invoked for the first time, a significant amount of uncertainty here, really questions there seem to be around um, what that would mean, what that should mean for the military. And so certainly we're seeing um, legal advice being provided to the chief of the defense staff, um, experts that we spoke to, of course, saying this is par for the course. Of course, he would want that legal advice to know what the options were, to know what could happen. But again, all of this really coming as there continue to be a lot of questions about what exactly was happening with the Emergencies Act, what the impact was and the the questions were that were being asked behind the scenes by the people in the highest offices in the country.
0: It seems like there was also, I don't know if you would say confusion, but certainly one of the sticking points was what role would the military play as far as would they offer up assistance and whether or not, or I guess a reminder also coming through in this that the military is not a police force.
1: Absolutely, and and I think that's a really important point to drive home because, again, we saw this really emphasized from the government early on, Defence Minister Anita Anand coming out and saying very clearly, uh, as early as February 3rd, the military is not a police force, as you mentioned there. And so what we were seeing in the documents here were were the questions around what's described as as Canadian Forces assistance to law enforcement. And now when we spoke to experts about this, they were saying that, you know, this would be in the context of the fact that when, when the military has all these capabilities, it's not just things like having military Uniformed officers in the street, right? There, there's a range of things that this could include, and certainly Global News has heard from sources who have described uh, conversations that there were questions questions around could the military provide towing capacity, for example, back uh, in early February for some of the heavy vehicles and machinery that were in the downtown core here in Ottawa. Could there have been questions around um, intelligence or things like that as well? Those are certainly some possibilities that we heard raised by experts as well, and so really a broad range of tools that the military. Does have, and this really was raising questions. It seems about whether they could or should use any of those or have any of those available to the law enforcement who were on the ground dealing with this, uh, with with this major event.
0: And uh, I know these documents uh, were redacted, so certainly some parts uh, of them not released. But there was also talk or mention, wasn't there, that one of the considerations that was was top of mind, was even the involvement of some military members or some members of the Canadian Armed Forces who were involved in the blockades.
1: Absolutely, yes. And there there have been multiple reports, of course, that we've seen coming out over the course of the convoy of, of military members who were involved, and involved in a variety of ways. And we're talking about the military members here. We're not only talking about kind of rank and file. There were also reports of multiple members of JTF-2, which is Canada's very elite, Highly trained special forces unit who were also uh, involved with the the uh, the convoy here and the activities that were going on so really a, a lot of con- uh, concerns that were raised publicly and we, we see from these documents now as well um, privately as well officials inside the Department of National Defense saying that they needed a strategy to deal with reports of some of these members because specifically they were warning that this would likely shift into, quote, an institutional issue rather than just an issue of a couple of different people in the military who were who were being involved here. And so all of this really coming as there have been A lot of questions for the military. You and I certainly, I think, have talked about this, um, but questions about extremism in the ranks of the military, what the military is doing to deal with things like anti-government, white supremacy, all of this. It's been documented now in um, a number of very high profile uh, reports and records from the government and from law enforcement. And so um, still a lot of questions here. And certainly we're seeing that those were really being recognized by people within the Department of National Defense as well at the time.
0: And do you anticipate, will there be more documents being released or will we learn more, do you think, about kind of those conversations that were being had or being held while this was unfolding and the role of the military? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so this is always the tricky thing with uh, with access to information requests. Of course, I can certainly say you know we, we've got a number of them in. We would certainly hope that we get responses to those. Um, the wait line, the wait time on these can be rather long. It's hard to know when they will come back. But certainly, um, there are a lot of different avenues here and, and questions that are still needing to be addressed there is of course the inquiry that's underway here as well those start public uh public hearings next month here in ottawa Um, and that is the the inquiry being led by the former supreme court justice and so all of this really we're kind of entering into this time where there's going to be a lot more talk and a lot of reflection happening on what actually happened here and that report of course of the inquiry expected early next year
0: All right, Amanda, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on this. Appreciate your time today.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: This is Mornings with Simi. Listen on your HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on 980 ZKNW. Well, we were talking earlier about a news release. This one was sent out by Kelowna RCMP warning about a prolific offender and they named this person Kelowna RCMP saying that they responded to a call that a well-known prolific offender was in a parking lot. He was observed to be tampering with the vehicle. He was no longer there when police arrived. However, they did arrest him a short time later. This is somebody that RCMP identified. A gentleman by the name of Justin Collins, who's had more than 420 interactions with police. Hundreds of police files on this one individual. This comes at the same time we're hearing a story of another repeat offender, a man who actually threatened to kill a Vancouver pizza server arrested four times by Vancouver police in a two-month stretch. A lot of frustration, to say the least. Joining us to talk more about this is Todd Stone, who is the official opposition House leader in B.C., also the critic for jobs, economic recovery and innovation. Thank you so much for being with us. us. Good morning. Uh, Good morning to you. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? We keep hearing more and more stories about people who are known to be repeat and prolific offenders. Uh, We now know the report looking into this has been delayed. Where do we go from here?
2: Well, again, thanks for having me on this morning. I, I think British Columbians are rightfully, uh, uh, you know, at the end of their rope on this. I think people are, are, are frustrated. It doesn't matter if you're in Vancouver, Victoria, Kelowna, Kamloops, or, or anywhere in between, uh, this issue of prolific offenders uh, is getting worse and worse, it seems, by the day. In Vancouver, as you know well, it, it, four random assaults on average every single day. Um, there was uh, some light at the end of the tunnel, it, it appeared back in uh, May, when uh, then Attorney General David Eby announced that uh, uh, former Vancouver Deputy Police Chief Doug LaPard and criminologist Amanda Butler were going to uh, to to do this report and and bring forward recommendations uh, of course a lot of skepticism around that when it was announced because, frankly, I think most uh, folks, whether they're in law enforcement, uh, crown prosecution, whether you're a mayor or a citizen, I think people understand what the issues are, and, and people are looking for solutions. But fair enough. Uh, to learn yesterday that the report, uh, uh, this much-touted report, was going to be delayed for yet another month, uh, I think it's just completely and totally unacceptable. So we're, we're continuing to call on the government to uh, to, to get on with the, uh, the quote-unquote creative solution that, uh, that David Eby had talked about back in May, uh, that he said uh, the government wouldn't hesitate to implement while this report was being worked on, uh, so that people uh, can, can once again uh, begin to feel safe in their in their communities. That is simply not happening. Uh,
0: do you think there's a lot of uh, confidence, though, that even when the report and if it's a two-week delay, not the not the biggest deal. But uh, we were talking about this earlier as well. It's not expected, even with a two-week delay, at uh, that two-week point that suddenly there are going to be all of these solutions and things going that will be brought in. Uh, We also heard uh, from uh, closer to your neck of the woods uh, the outgoing RCMP officer, the top cop in Kamloops, saying that police can keep making these arrests and doing their jobs, but once the offenders go into the system, there are federal changes to the criminal code, uh, there are things that simply it's out of their hands and they have no control over the fact that these offenders are released within hours or the next day and are caught and it's just this revolving door.
2: Well, at first, uh, a two-week delay—you uh, know—that's that's at four four random assaults on average per day. That's a, that's fifty-six people that uh, are likely going to to suffer a random attack in the city of Vancouver, not to mention elsewhere in the province. So, I, I mean, a, a one-day delay is uh, you know has an impact on people. Uh, but you're you're right. Uh, there there is a a range of of challenges that are all contributing here at the same time. Uh, a, a good number of them are, are the provincial government has got. Tools uh, and and policy levers that they they could choose to employ, which they're not. Uh, there are some federal uh, aspects to this for, uh, for sure. Uh, what we've been saying is, look, with respect to what the province has control over, uh, the the first and foremost, the province needs to to get uh, serious about the mental health and addiction supports that people uh, really need. A lot of the uh, the population uh, that is is in the middle of of uh, this social disorder has some very serious mental health and addiction challenges. Not and not everyone there is without question a criminal element uh, that is taking advantage of this of this situation uh, and uh, and they need to be dealt with as the criminals uh, that they are but we're we've been calling for uh, the government to review and change their their charge assessment and full disclosure policies Uh, they need to be updated uh, uh, to reflect the challenges that uh, our our people are currently facing we need to see a, a significant increase in in investment in the prosecution service we need more community courts around the province and and something the province could do which would would go a long ways to, to uh, addressing this situation is they could uh, uh, today they could enhance uh, the resources that are provided uh, for the uh, forensics uh, the forensics division in British Columbia uh, to process uh, uh, the the you know ev- 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 evidence uh, faster uh, as part of these full disclosure files so there's a whole bunch of, of tools that the provincial government through the attorney general's ministry has uh that for whatever reason uh the, the, this this current government uh simply doesn't seem to be willing uh to uh, to to utilize
0: Uh, Do you think, though, when people hear about the assaults that you've mentioned, the random assaults, when they hear about cases like this, a prolific offender with more than 400 police files for alleged crimes, when they hear about somebody who threatened to kill somebody who was released from custody, I mean, I think if you ask people on the street, they would say, why aren't we keeping them in jail? Why aren't these people being kept in custody so they're not a danger to others on the streets? And is that something the province has any control over?
2: Well, the, the province certainly has uh, the control over uh, a, a whole uh, n- number of aspects of this, as I've said. And, and if you if you look back at the comments of the uh, the outgoing uh, superint- chief superintendent uh, with the the Kamloops RCMP, or the, uh, the, the very public statement that uh, the RCMP in Kelowna made uh, only days ago. Uh, or, or the police chief in, in Vancouver, they'll, they'll tell you that there, uh, there there needs to be a significant investment in in addressing the underlying challenges that people are facing um, uh, in these vulnerable populations. First and foremost, that's that is uh, that's completely provincial responsibility. That's mental health, addiction, recovery uh, supports. Uh, we've been talking about bringing back uh, a Riverview type facility that you know wouldn't wouldn't look and feel uh, like Riverview did back in the day, but that would you know be a place uh, place where uh, you, you have those compassionate and very su- supportive uh, uh, su- supports for people uh, in in a, in a kind of an apartment-like setting, a very modern setting uh, for for people that that really need that uh, that help. Uh, the, the province just doesn't seem to be willing to, to head in that direction. So whether it's under-investing under in the prosecution service, under-investing in forensics, under-investing uh, in, in other aspects of, of the um, of the criminal justice system, uh, the province has a number of tools and levers that they could do today that would make a difference. Would it solve all of the problems? Uh, no. There is a federal element and I've been very clear about that. But uh, the province has tools and they're, and they're simply not embracing them. The inter- interim attorney general General Murray Rankin, for him to say yesterday, uh, you know, and I quote, uh, you know, this, this this two-week delay on the Lapard report is is uh, is unfortunate, and and we're aware of concerns. It's serious issues. when he has steps need to be taken. Uh, end quote. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, basically that's something that Captain Obvious would say, I mean, we all understand what the challenges are. Uh, get on with taking some action so people feel safe once again in their communities. And yes, part of that is is uh, kicking up in a big way your advocacy of, to the federal government to say, yes, there are some changes that need to be made at, uh, at, the, at the criminal code level, and, uh, and, and there needs to be a legislative response federally to, uh, to a number of changes that have been made um, uh, as a result of court decisions that the federal government hasn't responded to in relation to bail. Um, that is is definitely part of what uh, needs to happen moving forward. But BC, get on with some changes and things that you could do here now that would make people feel safer.
0: All right, Todd Stone, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. Thanks so much for your time.
2: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. Well, we know both sides in the dispute between government and the BCGEU have agreed to resume talks. There is a media blackout, so no information coming from those talks. Good news, though, at least, that they have agreed to go back to the table. But that doesn't mean job action is stopping. And we have seen the impacts of the pickets that have been set up at select liquor distribution sites in BC. With that job action continuing, we're also seeing struggles by companies that are starting out specifically in this case a cannabis company that launched in bc's cannabis stores just this week now facing many challenges because of the job action joining us to talk more about this is audrey wong founder of Zire. and audrey thank you so much for joining us to talk a bit more about this Good morning,
3: Jill. Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: So tell us a bit about how this kind of unfolded with you starting
3: up. How did things go? Well, I was very excited. Uh, About two weeks ago, I'd sent my first shipment off to the Provincial Liquor and Cannabis Distribution Company. Um, And in our model, you actually have to send it to the government before they send it back to retail stores. I unfortunately sent it to them two days before the strike was announced. So almost all my product has been caught in the strike, which is very tough for a small company like mine. Right. And so where is your business located? Uh, Local run. I own it. And it's um, B.C., Vancouver.
0: All right. And so with your product then not being able or kind of being held up because of the job action, do you have any product at all?
3: Well, from what I've heard, it's made it to the government run stores across the province. And three retailers across BC they were able to order it on the day that it was launched and then everyone else's ordering day unfortunately happened after the strike
0: right okay so as 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 it stands right now though is there anything on the shelves in your store
3: so i don't run a store i'm actually a vape supplier and I sell through the government distributors and retailers order it through me, mm. uh, order it through the government. So I don't have a store and I'm, I'm not, unfortunately, able to sell myself. So I'm dependent on this government strike to lift for people to actually be able to try my vapes.
0: And uh, so is it kind of that you're in a, a position of limbo then until this job action, until the strike is resolved?
3: Oh, Jill, it's I'm in complete standstill right now it's pretty unfortunate um had i released my products into the market a week earlier potentially i could have been the last orders that would have made it to stores and maybe been the the vapes that are in stock right now but as it stood because i launched it right before the strike no one even had a chance to order me
0: Hmm. And for you as well, I understand that you actually were were very much involved before all of this happened. You were very much involved as far as overhauling the B.C. liquor distribution, the business model, and you were a big part of that.
3: I was. I had been an executive at the B.C. liquor distribution branch for four years before I moved over to cannabis and uh, took cannabis and launched cannabis live into the Canadian market. So I am very familiar in that. none of this is news to the regulated industry at all. Uh,
0: You must have the perspective, though, of being able to look at this from kind of the liquor distribution branch side of things and now looking at it from an entrepreneur. You get to see, I would imagine, more of the dispute and more of the impacts of it than most people would.
3: You know, I'm almost surprised. I, I didn't know the strike happened until a retailer emailed me and told me they couldn't order my products because the strike had happened. And I actually pretty much kicked myself in the butt and said, how me of all people didn't know Um, going into a market like this, where it's completely a monopoly model of distribution. None of these things um, they're going to happen over the years. Unfortunately, it just happened to me right when I launched.
0: And are you hearing from other uh, business owners as well, or other companies? Like you said, some of them were able to get those orders in and get product before those picket lines went up. But I know we've also heard that once the supply runs out, or what the current stocks, once they run out, if the job action is still continuing, there are going to be more issues.
3: Well, I think the the one that's a bit, I don't know if the word's funny, but I was due to visit a store today out in Port Coquitlam, and... In the news yesterday, as a uh, news crew was filming that store and doing an interview, they found some, a illegal uh, weed dealer outside selling weed to the people who got to the store and found out it was closed. So, you know, BC is very much a market that um, doesn't have a lot of enforcement on the black market, and it's readily available. So it is concerning that people don't aren't um, necessarily loyal to the legal market, and they can very easily turn back to the black market. But also with this cascading effect, it's going to take retailers, suppliers, all of us, um, quite a bit of time before we can build back up to the two weeks that we've lost. Right. And how much time do you think that realistically would it take? I think it's case by case. Um, In my situation, because i would never been ordered in stores, I imagine that when retailers open, one, they've been making less money. They ran out of stock and now they have to restock their core SKUs those are the CEOs that have always been doing quite well. So now I've been pushed back further than had I been if they were just ordering on the regular schedule. So for me, I suspect the impact's uh, going to be significantly worse than an established supplier who's first on the list to be reordered when things open back up.
0: Right. So in the meantime, then, what do you do other than kind of watch and wait to see what happens next with the dispute? Well, it's
3: tough. I... It, there's a momentum-based play here. As a new supplier, new products are hot. Um, people like new things. So I had momentum on my side, and summer was very important. I know for sure I'm going to miss Labor Day, which is pretty unfortunate. But all I can do right now is focus on my digital marketing, my social media, updating my website, You know, getting ready for when the stores reopen again, that I come back with updated and bigger and better materials that I had developed.
0: All right. Well, Audrey, thanks so much for joining us, for bringing us up to date on this. It was nice to talk with you this morning. Thanks, Jill. Take care. You too. That is Audrey Wong, the founder of Zyre and talking about some of the obstacles and issues, especially for new cannabis-based businesses that have started up in uh, the job action that is continuing. This is Mornings with Simi. Listen on your HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on 980 ZKNW. Well, uh, we've been asking you about this. It's linked to our question of the day. And today is national dog day it also is the day that a vancouver communications agency is rolling out their new dog friendly policy and calling it parental leave so let's find out more about this natalie martin is the vp of talk shop and joins us on the line now natalie thank you so much for joining us today
4: Thank you for having me, Jill. And happy National Dog Day.
0: And to you as well. And certainly many people adopted dogs and cats and other pets to their homes, especially during the pandemic when they were working from home, now adjusting, in many cases, going back to the office. So tell us a little bit about this new policy. What is this doing for employees at
3: TalkShop?
4: Oh, my gosh. Well, it's very exciting. And it's an exciting day for TalkShop today today. We rolled out the policy yesterday to our team members to the most exciting acclaim. I have never, we've we rolled out a lot of policies at TalkShop. You know, we span across Canada with 60 people in three offices, and I've never rolled out a policy that the team members were so excited about. It was so much fun. Um, I mean, cold Notes are really, TalkShop, we've always been known to be a supportive workplace for working parents. We offer top up for new parents schedule flexibility and remote work in order to allow parents to, you know, prioritize their families while excelling in their careers. But we were continuing to celebrate working families. We wanted to formally recognize that not all families take the same shape. A family can consist of a fur baby and her number one human. So as our team members open their hearts and their homes to accommodate a four-legged friend, we believe it's cause for celebration and workplace support So we're rolling out a new parental leave, which is actually just an official policy across the board for all of our offices across Canada, where team members can enjoy a bit of paid time off around the adoption of a four-legged friend.
0: So if you adopt, say, a dog or a cat, how much time off can an employee take now and, and have that paid time off?
4: So in our policy, we give three additional paid days off to anyone who is a adopting and we say it has to have four paws so that's a cat or a dog at this point point. Um, and they can also have an additional two unpaid days off if they uh, submit an application so really it's about giving someone a week off recognizing that you know there's an adjustment period that comes with adopting a new pet um, and i think it's important to recognize that and make sure that we're giving our team members and their fur babies a chance to thrive
0: Uh, Now, somebody might hear that and think, oh, well, you could adopt five dogs in a year and get all of this time off. But I understand it's not (laughs) something that you can do. uh, You're not uh, taking in fosters or doing this once a month. There is a a limit to this.
4: Yeah, we say nice try, Jill. (laughs) I mean, we we already have, I, I will say this, we have three applications already in for our parental leave. So clearly this is something that our team members want to take advantage of. We have put a cap on it. So you only have to have one parental leave a year. Um, you know, but we'll look at that. We, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to limit people, but um, you know, we have some, um, some team members out of Kelowna, for example, I know one individual has three dogs. So, it is about capping it just to make sure that it's not disrupting our client work, of course.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. What about things like, so uh, employees that might already have dogs or cats, like you said, they're part of the family. Uh, Do you also provide things if somebody, uh, unfortunately, a part uh, of pets being in the family often means saying goodbye to your pets. What about things like bereavement leave if somebody wants to take time off when they've lost a pet?
4: Oh, Jill, I mean, that's a great question. And I mean, obviously it's a little bit more of a sad case, I'd say that we have um, a talk shop. what we're always doing um, as a people organization and being family first is making sure that um, our policies reflect what's going on with our team members. Um, we've already had uh, quite a robust bereavement policy in place. And our bereavement policy is quite flexible, actually, because we don't want to uh, be dictating what we believe you need bereavement for. So we have had members of our team, and I think we will continue to do so, that we review, you know, a bereavement application if it is around, you know, centered around a dog or a cat. Because that can be, like, absolutely detrimental to someone in their lives when, when there is a, you know, milestone event like, like the passing of, of one of your loved ones. So, so yeah, bereavement policy would cover that. Already,
0: All right. Uh, What about the idea of, I mean, I think it's great, like you said, there are already applications in from people wanting to take (laughs) this leave because it can be an adjustment, especially if it's a puppy or or a younger animal or a senior. Uh, Are there also requests or do people, are, are they expressing the want to perhaps bring dogs to the workplace?
4: Oh, yes. I mean, we've always had um, uh, like a dog friendly office. Our offices are at Fifth and Granville in Vancouver and downtown in Toronto. And we have a satellite office in Kelowna and Calgary. And so all of our offices are dog friendly. But Jill, I'll tell you, we have 60 people now in our communications agency. You know, we're 10 years old. All of a sudden, we're we're bigger than we've ever been. So we now actually have a, have a program um, that's integrated into our communication system where you, we have to book in parking spots, as you would do, just part of our logistical operations. And now you can actually book in a spot for your dog because we were getting to the point that if it's, if it's more than two dogs in an office, it can get a little bit distracting. <laughs> yeah. so, now, so now ahead of the week, you can book in your spot for your dog so that we only have one or two office dogs a day.
0: That makes sense. Uh, I I know I've heard of some workplaces that it can become more like a dog daycare, which can also take away from uh, the, the workflow, perhaps.
4: Exactly. And we just want to share a little, like sometimes we have Birdie who is a sheepadoodle and he's a giant dog. And we know that if Bertie is booked in, he should be the only dog in there. And then we have other times where, you know, there's smaller dogs like Riley or Eugene. Um, they're some of our office dogs. And when they come in, you know, two of them is okay because they're friends and they're not that much dog because they're pretty small. <laughs> uh, and, and
0: just to going back to the, the new leave policy, uh, I, I would assume the company has done the cost benefits or the analysis of this of giving. Workers those three paid days and, and figure figured that it is that it, it works for the company. It's something that the employees are wanting. Are you going to look at it or do you reevaluate it or what do you do from this point moving forward?
4: I think we've already evaluated it before we put this into into play. And to be honest, Jill, this is something we've always, we're not not the first organization to do this. We've seen this across Canada and other really fun organizations that are forward thinking about um, celebrating their people the way they want to be celebrated. So it was really just about actually just getting down and writing it out and then publishing it, you know, rolling it out. The cost of the business, we feel, is not that high. Like three paid, t- three paid days off for an employee once a year, even if they get a dog a year, it's not that high. The return on investment we saw yesterday with how much people celebrated this and how um, excited people were that we would even just put the time into doing this was so worth it. It's like, it's, it's about really listening to your team members about what's important in their lives um, and then determining whether or not your policies truly support them. So analysis
0: was done and I think we did the right thing here. And I know too uh, that others are encouraged to do this as well. I would imagine though it is a personal choice or or the choice of a business because it's such a different way of looking at it from what we were talking about even just a few months ago about Mm. employees in some cases wanting more sick days and wanting more paid time off and, and a lot of businesses coming forward and saying well we can't really afford that.
4: I think that it's really just about continuing to review like what the what the ask actually is behind that so is it because we have employees that are experiencing burnout why do our employees need more time off and and really what's the root of the issue and then looking at that and seeing where we can be flexible as organizations like the workplace landscape is changing as it always is and you know we work with clients um, across the board, sometimes we're even recommending some employer branding type work like this. And we always just say, listen to your team members and, and adopt what you believe would work for them. So if it's, they want more paid time off, why is that? You know, maybe we're working them too hard. Maybe their hours are too long. And I think that if you're really dedicated and a committed individual at work, um, offering a bit more time to celebrate life in order to make sure that when you are at work, you're coming and you're showing up as your be- at, at your best, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that we're going to continue to see where we can be flexible with time off um, and with fun policies like this.
0: All right. Well, Natalie, thank you for joining us on this National Dog Day to talk about this new policy. I appreciate your time today.
4: Uh, Thank you so much,
0: Jill. And happy National Dog Day to you. And same to you. That is Natalie Martin, the VP of Talk Shop. We've been asking you this. It was our question of the day as well. What do you think about this? It's a policy where if you adopt a dog or a cat, you can get three days of paid leave to work out that transition to welcome that animal into your family.